Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tiger podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorosh. I'm here with Tiger beat writer Evan Petzold. We're jumping in after another three and three week. There were quite a few things that happened this week. Ev's going to jump on a plane to Texas. What's going on, man? Yeah, three and three week. It was two wins against the Royals and you felt pretty good coming out of that series, especially that the Tigers took three of four over the past weekend against the Twins. And then you go and you win two of three against the Royals and, and you feel really good about the Twins coming back into town. Tigers lost the first game. They bounced back and they won on Saturday. And and Sunday to me kind of felt like a must-win situation. I mean, this was, this was an opportunity for the Tigers to climb up to be three and a half games out of first place behind the Twins. And Sunday ends and they're five and a half games out um, behind the Twins. So it was a game that felt must win just because of the implications with the standings and just the later we get into the season and we're pushing to the point of the all-star break, you need to be making your move at some point. And the Tigers had an opportunity to take a big leap this weekend and they didn't do it. They fell short losing two of three against the twins. That's something that um, you really don't want to see, especially the fact that, you know, and, and look, we just got to talk about Sunday's game and it'll roll into the big two. It'll roll into probably uh, much of our conversation you know, throughout this podcast, but the way that Sunday's game ended was, was disastrous. And it was, you know, Tigers in the mix in the AL central and a sloppy play cost them from moving up in the standings. That's exactly what I wrote in the game story. That's exactly what happened. It was an eighth inning throwing error from third baseman, Nick Maton and Tigers had a chance to, to put that inning away. They were winning three to two, a run ends up scoring on an errant throw. He just completely threw the ball past Spencer Torkelson completely threw it away um, it was Nick Maton's second error in as many days. Royce Lewis scores from third base. The game is tied. Funny enough, it was a bouncing ground ball from Willie Castro that Nick Maton fielded. Ex-Tiger Willie Castro couldn't complete the throw. The game ends up tied. It goes to extra innings, and the Tigers lose 6-3 to three in the 10th. Um, the 10th the inning wasn't great either. There was a ball that got past Nick Maton again at third base, and then um, a line shot that clipped the glove of uh, leaping Zach short at second base. And that game went from the Tigers being up three, two, and you feel really good about their bullpen based on the way that the bullpen has been pitching recently to, okay, it's a tie game. And then, yeah, this, this thing is over. Um, and that was a disappointing end to really what I would consider an up and down week. And that's kind of been the narrative for the Tigers recently is it's been, you know, some good, some bad, um, some good, some bad. And that's just kind of generally been, been the week. They haven't really put together a strong stretch since they won a bunch in a row and then lost a bunch in a row um, early in June. And, and kind of since then, it's just, it's been a little bit of up and down. Theme of this podcast, I'm going to throw out a word to you, talk about it. The word is legitimacy. It's a fair word. 
That's a fair word. I mean, look, when you're when you're in the, the AL Central, and we can go on and on about how bad the AL Central is. It, it's a bad division. It's the worst division in baseball, and it, it sure seems like one of the worst divisions all time. But you have an opportunity to make a move in this division, and there's an opportunity to, you know, quite honestly, win this division. And if you were in the AL East, Tigers would be toast already. If Tigers were in the AL West, they'd be toast already. If they were in just about any other division, aside from the NL Central, let's just say, they'd be buried at this point in the season. There would be no hope for the playoffs. But in the AL Central, where the Twins are at the top with a 40-39 and 39 record coming into Monday, Tigers can make a move. They can do something. And the question, you're right, is, is are, you, are you legit or are you not? Can you play ball with the big boys in the Central or can you not? And it's, it's funny we say that because there are no big boys in the Central. But can you do enough to get in and, and see what you can do? That's the big question. You know, how bad the Central is, meaningless to me. What I see by the fact these teams are so poor is opportunity. Nobody, look, if you're walking down the street and you find a lotto ticket on the ground and there's nobody around you, you pick it up, walk in, you find out it's worth $25,000. You have nobody to give it back to. You know, it's an opportunity. Finders keepers. Finders keepers. So nobody's going to ask anybody at the end. If the, if the Twins get in and they win a playoff round going into the second round, nobody's going to say anything except what a good year they had. They won a division. They won a round in the playoffs. You can criticize how terrible the record was all you want. I remember a team from St. Louis that took on a pretty heavily favored Tiger team, beat them, and won the World Series. You know, nobody really remembers how you got in. They just remember if you got in. And the so same would I, be true if the Tigers were able to get in. No, 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 one, no one's going to care. They only care how good you are at the end. They don't care how good you are, how you got in. And when I use the word legitimacy, a game like today, it's awful hard to take the Tigers very seriously as a baseball team when they errors happen. But to make a wild throw there that the first baseman can't even lay a glove on, it would have been one thing if it had been in the dirt, tried to scoop, didn't get it, or the throw was high and he came down, couldn't tag him, bases would have been well, loaded. Mark, he had I mean, another early, chance I mean, for Mark, another early, out. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the game, there was a play that Nick Maton made throw into first base. And again, it was another arm side miss, but it was close enough that Torkelson was able to save him by, you know, catching the right. ball off and, and, you know, kind of bringing his glove back and getting the runner before the runner tagged first base and, and crossed the bag there. This throw was just, I mean, it was abysmal. I, I don't even know what other way to put it. It, it was a terrible throw. Well, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a Javi Baez fire in the dirt. Got to make Torque pick it. Um, it was just an awful throw. Look, we're on, episode, we're on episode 17. You and I have many, many times, especially when they were playing well, when they were healthier, we used to say things like, find a way. And there's not been a lot f- of finding a way lately. It's more reminds me of something I say pretty often, which is it feels kind of like they're hanging off the side of the building, praying they don't. <laughs> fall off and die and 
the, even the victories lately. Well, that's how it was against the Twins, Mark. It was, it was one run in the loss on Friday, and then in Saturday it was three runs early, nothing the rest of the way. And then, you know, on Sunday it was, you know, kind of more of the same, three runs early and nothing the rest of the way. In 27 innings of uh, at-bats, including the extra inning today, the Tigers scored in three innings in the series. 24 innings they did not score. It's not good. And, you know, which leads us into sort of the theme of the week and things we've been talking about for a pretty long time. So let's jump into the big two and we'll, we'll, we'll get to some things about the roster here in a minute. So question number one of the big two, how important is this road trip? It's a huge road trip. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, you can look ahead and you can, you can look at the Colorado series, but let's just talk about the Texas Rangers right now and what the Texas Rangers have been able to do. They're sitting at 47 and 30 atop the AL West. They're better than the Houston Astros. They're better than the Los Angeles Angels. They're better than the Seattle Mariners. And of course, they're better than the Oakland Athletics. The run differential is plus 152. They tear you up offensively. They're as good as an offensive team as, as there is in the American League. Um, and at home? And it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, look, you got Adoles Garcia, you got Josh Young, you got Jonah Heim, you got Corey Seager, you got Marcus Semien. I mean, the, 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 the list goes on and on of guys that can do damage in this lineup. X Tiger, Robbie Grossman is in that mix as well, getting quite a bit of playing time and, and, you know, kind of making his presence felt in the way with the, the ability to draw some walks and, and hit some homers. But regardless, I mean, you, you got to deal with the Dulles Garcia and you got to deal with Josh Young and Corey Seager and Marcus Semien. That, that's a tough lineup to deal with. Those are guys that are going to punish mistakes over and over and over again. And their pitching staff's not bad either. So that's a really tough series. And, and for me, it's like if you're the time and you want to take two of four, that's a blessing. That's a blessing against the Rangers if you can do that. And then obviously going to Colorado, you know, not, not as bad of a situation there and, and a chance for maybe the offense to perk up a little bit playing at Coors Field in Denver. Um, I feel like those are some winnable games for the Tigers without a doubt, but it's a four game series against the Rangers and it's a three game series against the Rockies. Tigers are going out West. They, they got to take care of business against the Rangers. I mean, they, they just have to, um, it's, it's going to be a really difficult series. We'll, we'll see how it is coming out, but I, I'm not very optimistic. They got to find a way to split. They They're, have to. They, they've lost they two to. of their last three, and this is a fast way to get into a five-game losing streak. And they have to find a way how to get into the All-Star break alive, if not with momentum, because we know what's going to happen as soon as they come out of the break. So if the team at least wants to be in a conversation of doing more things in the second half and having something, almost anything, to play for, they're going to need to find a way, and they're going to need to find a way now. And it would have been a heck of a lot easier to do that if they would not have basically handed the Minnesota Twins a game on a platter today that they had no business winning. So, well, Mark, too, this this game. I mean, this this this. But but, Mark, this game of baseball is such an emotional roller coaster, right? Like you feel you would have felt a lot better going into Texas if they would have won the game on Sunday against the Twins, right? They lose the game, you feel a lot worse about it. Now that can change really quickly. 
I still don't think they're, they're going to fare well against the Rangers, but I do look at the part of the schedule where they play Colorado. They have the off day on Monday after coming home, and then you get the Oakland Athletics for three games. And I think that's, yep. that's a stretch of six games where you can make a run and you can make some make some moves. You can move up that that um, that AL Central, and that's that's it's, an opportunity for them. It's why you got to find a way in this four game series to figure exactly. out how to keep your head above water. Then you move on to at least a part of the schedule if you're playing well enough that you can put together some victories. Okay, they got some better pitching coming back. So let's get to uh, the second question of the big two, which is <laughs> how confident are you that Nick Maton will reach his upside? And I guess uh, this was a question I crafted maybe in about the seventh inning today when I was doing our show sheet while we were watching. And I'm surprised how poorly this has aged in the la- <laughs> in the last six hours. So, as we know, Nick Maton was demoted to Toledo. And my bigger question is, how do you think he's going to survive the entire ordeal that uh, basically came to a head today? Yeah, I mean, I've written a lot about Nick Maton, and we've talked a lot about Nick, T- Nick Maton. You can go freep.com and read a story I wrote the other day where A.J. Hinch and Scott Harris were both talking about him. Um, and then obviously stories up there today about his demotion to Toledo and some of his comments, a few things just to say on that. So yeah, I mean, after the, after Sunday's loss, the Tigers decided to demote him. Um, it was kind of a situation where it seemed like it wasn't going to happen just yet. Um, maybe a demotion could have been coming in the future when Riley Green and Nikhil Badu, two left-handed hitters came back, but just the way that the game ended today and in the way that things went, it wasn't just the throwing error in the eighth inning. It was then he turned around and he struck out in the ninth inning in a situation where the Tigers really needed him to have a, a, a productive at-bat. And he was swinging at pitches inside the strike zone in that at-bat, but still, he's you know he's trying to avoid chasing pitches at the bottom of the zone. And while he has done a much better job of that, he has not been able to punish fastballs like he's been able to do in the past. So as much as you want to tip your cap and give him credit for laying off pitches at the bottom of the zone, for laying off change-ups low, for laying off sliders low, he's done great at that. Um, especially recently, go, go look at the data. It's there to prove that he isn't chasing as much, but he hasn't been able to do damage on the pitches that he's supposed to do damage on. And those are pitches up in the zone, specifically fastballs. The swing and miss rate right now is a career high for him in the month of June on fastballs. Um, so when you know a fastball hitter isn't able to hit any fastballs, I don't really care what he's laying off. You have to be able to hit those pitches and, and he hasn't been able to do it. So it's kind of a, a, a it's not just, okay, the Tigers reacted to this error and they sent him down. I mean, this has been building for a really long time, as we both know. And I'm sure you can get more into that, but I, I do want to give him some credit um, because it would have been really easy not to talk to the media, right? We, we were all waiting for him by his locker. We weren't sure if he was going to show. There were some whispers among the group saying, yeah, we're probably not going to talk to him. Um, a couple of us had even said, like, yeah, let's just call it and like get out of here. And, and all of a sudden he shows up, and I love the way that he talked about the demotion. Mark, I love everything about it. And that's something that he deserves credit for. Um, you know, he's a man for standing up and doing that. And I, I have respect for him for that because it's, it's, there have been guys who have been demoted in the past to, you know, sneak out of the clubhouse or hurry out and, and get out quick. And we don't hear about him until we either go down to Toledo to see him or they come back at some point. And you know, AJ Hinch had talked about it being a, a mental reset for him, getting him into a different environment to work on some of the adjustments they needed to make both offensively and defensively. And Nick Maton was honest. He said, look, I struggled a lot. I know the player that I can be. 
everybody knows the player that I can be. And I think from, from that, it's like, a, you know, AJ Hinch knows what, knows what kind of player I can be. Um, you know, Scott Harris knows what kind of player I can be. And Mark, I think you and I both know what kind of player he can be. I mean, we, we've seen the impact. We know what he does behind the scenes and there's a lot of value there. And he mentioned he's not going to sulk about it. He's going to get to work and, and come back and be the best player that he can be. He said that he felt like, you know, the, the demotion was kind of the right move at the right time for him. He just, he just understood everything. It seemed like he respected the situation. He understood. Was he content with it? Was he happy with it? Heck no. But he took it like a man. He, he dealt with it. And, you know, that's a guy that you, he goes down to Toledo and you hope that he comes back better. You really do. I think Nick Maton, the person is outstanding. I think what's gone on as far as what he's produced on the field is been pretty disappointing to everybody. Well, it just went on too long. It just went on too long. I think that uh, what we saw in spring training gave us a glimpse of, or at least flashes of what he could be. I mean, even it's ironic in this series, Tigers played Joey Gallo. And uh, weirdly, Nick Maton has got a lot of Joey Gallo in his game. And uh, you can criticize Joey Gallo all you want. He's won a gold glove three times, hit over 40 homers. He's rarely hit over 230 in the last five years. Walks a ton. But uh, he's a three true outcome player. He's all or nothing. He plays good defense. You would hope that we kind of thought that's what Nick Maton was going to be. But this last six weeks has almost been unnecessary punishment. Unnecessary punishment for Nick Maton, unnecessary punishment for his teammates, and for sure unnecessary punishment for the fan base. So did they stay too long at the party? Well, I think for the last six weeks, you and I have diplomatically said that the, the answer to that was yes. So wish the kid luck. It's going to take a lot of work to fix what's broken here. I used to think there was about a 40 or 50% chance that he could be an effective player. He had a lot of holes in his swing. had to learn a new position. I'd say that's probably down to 5 or 10%. It's really... That's- that's kind of where I'm at too, though. And you mentioned the Joey Gallo comp, and I think it does make a lot of sense, right? Just because of the fact that, you know, Joey Gallo is able to walk and he hits a ton of home runs. He's got that power, but of course he's going to hit. I mean, I mean, look, the, the guy hit 160 last year. The guy's hitting 186 right now. He hasn't hit above 200 since 2019 in a single season. And if you're Nick Maton, that's fine, but you better be hitting 35 jacks a year. Well, well drawn the walks that you're drawn and, and, and you can strike out all you want as long as you're drawing some walks and, and hitting some home runs with it. That's okay. But I just don't see Nick Maton. I don't, I don't see him hitting 40 home runs in a single season. That that's just not going to happen. So he's going to have to make some adjustments in his game to get the ball and play more. Do I think that he is a sub 200 hitter forever? Like, no, I think he's going to hit above 200. Um, do I think he's going to hit 300 ever? No way. But it's, it's, again, he's just got too many things that opposing pitchers have exposed. You know, you go, go look at what they've thrown him each month, and he's not seeing fastballs anymore. And if yeah. you're a fastball-only hitter, they're just not going to throw you fastballs. You have to be able to hit other pitches. And I think that's part of the adjustment that's going to have to be made is, you know, okay, fine, like lay off those pitches down. And we, we saw some of that. Like two of his last three hits 
all in this twin series were off changeups. So, you know, two off changeups, one off a fastball. And so if you can avoid swinging at pitches down in the zone, you can hunt some pitches up and maybe you can catch the, the mistakes in the middle. You can be a mistake hitter and a fastball only hitter, but you really got to recognize out of hand, um, not only location, but whether it's spin or whether it's fastball. And I think that's probably the adjustment for him at this point. And, and if that clicks, if that clicks, he can, he can reach more of his potential than, than I feel like he can right now. I put that at about, you know, a, a 10% chance, maybe a, a 13% chance to be generous, but I'm not going to go as low as five, but I was definitely here's, a lot higher on him coming out of spring training than I am right now. Here's why I say five. Nick Maton had the chance of his life. He had the opportunity of a lifetime. That opportunity, gone, not coming back ever in this particular way again. By the time he can fix things, if he fixes things, it's going to take a while. He will never be handed a regular job as the third baseman ever again. There's other people coming up behind him. He's not going to be given. And if he ever does create an opportunity for himself to play regularly, the leash will be an inch instead of being 10 feet. So if I was Nick Maton, if I was really depressed about something, when you're driving down to Toledo tomorrow, that's what I'd be upset about. I had a phenomenal opportunity. They gave me a huge, huge, you know, amount of rope to try to, you know, become a fixture as a regular. He'll never get that quantity of time or that kind of opportunity no matter what he does at Toledo again. There's other players in the system. There's other players they will acquire. And if I'm Nick Maton, that's what I'd be pretty upset about. Well, that's the thing is if you want to get that back, you got to rake and you got to rake for a long time. A long time. So Multiple um, seasons, Mark. Not just come back and, and hit well for a week. I mean, this is, it's, you got to finish out the year strong if you get back and then you got to do it again next year. And there, it's a, it's, I would view it as a big chip on the shoulder, but that that's just me. I would say that it, it's a lottery ticket that he ever will be a regular on the Detroit Tigers. I, it's, it's a lot of baggage there and it's time to move on. It's, it's any other major league team would have moved on six weeks ago. So it's on, on the more, Enjoyable things to discuss than Nick Maton. We've spent way too much time the last two months discussing Nick Maton, and I'm glad for the respite. So we, uh, we're we going to see Matt Manning here maybe Tuesday. At the worst Thursday, I'm betting on Tuesday. Me too. Um, you have Reese Olsen and Joey Wentz in the rotation right now. He talked to me a little bit about where you think this is headed and you also have two other starters that are within two weeks at least one other and maybe two other starters that are going to be back within the next two weeks so let's talk a little bit about what we can expect to see and how it'll shuffle up yeah a lot of moving parts of the tigers right now some of those questions could even be answered by the pot by the time this podcast drops but um, for the tigers four game series they have matthew boyd going monday they have a tba for tuesday They have Joey Wentz going on Wednesday, and then they have a TBA for Thursday. 
Now, the, the most simple way to put this thing together is Boyd starts Monday, Matt Manning starts Tuesday, Wentz starts Wednesday, and Reese Olsen starts on Thursday. And the one thing that Tigers have been considering is starting Matt Manning on Thursday using Tuesday as a bullpen-only game, trying to piece that together. And they have had some success doing that. Trying to piece that together, it gives yourself the opportunity to keep a reliever. And so, Because when Matt Manning comes back, they're going to have to um, option a reliever down to Toledo. So it would give you an opportunity to keep that reliever, use that reliever on Tuesday to piece together a bullpen game against a really difficult offense. It allows you to play the matchup game all game long. AJ Hinch, as we know, is is a wizard when it comes to working the bullpen. He's been very successful in bullpen only games. And then Matt Manning would start Thursday. Reese Olsen would get pushed back, and he would start Friday and get an extra day of rest and start against the Rockies. But the simplest way to do it again is to have just have Matt Manning start on Tuesday. Either way, Matt's coming back for the Texas Rangers series, and it's a that's a tough welcome back to the big leagues coming off of the foot injury and. Um, a lot of time away. He hasn't pitched in the big league since the middle of April when he fractured his foot in a game against um, the Toronto Blue Jays on a comeback or on the last pitch of his outing. So it'll be good to get him back. It'll be good to see him. Um, the Tigers are happy to have his arm back in the rotation. That kind of gives them, you know, five guys in the starting rotation again. They don't have to rely on that bullpen game every time through if they don't want to. Um, so that's kind of the the first big thing to note in terms of returning players. There's also Tarek Skubal and Eduardo Rodriguez, they're going to be coming back soon. Seems like Tarek Skubal probably needs one more start in AAA Toledo. He's definitely going to get it, but it seems like that might be his last. And then Eduardo Rodriguez, it's unclear what's happening next with him. It sounds like it's going to be a start in AAA Toledo. Um, He threw a 50-pitch live BP, and he received some great reviews from his teammates. Um, Guys said, oh, that's Erod. He was dotting everything, Kerry Carpenter said. Riley Green said he hasn't missed a beat. Um, Jonathan Scope said he looked like Erod. So a lot of high praise from him. He said that everything felt perfect. He said the arm felt great. The body felt great. All the pitches felt great. Um, there were absolutely no complaints from him coming out of that 50-pitch live BP. So it seems like one start for him in Toledo, and then he'll be back in the rotation. Maybe he gets two starts. I mean, we'll see what happens there with that. I think that's, um, you know, kind of has some moving pieces to it. But Scoobal for sure. I mean, he's just looked dynamite through all of his starts in Toledo so far. I, I like that he was challenged in his last outing a little bit, had to, you know, work out of the stretch, had some runners on. It wasn't an easy, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three for his, you know, three, four innings. It was, um, you know, a little bit of, of base runners on and, and pitching out of some things. And I like to see that. I think that's important for every pitcher to go through as they're working their way back, because that's what you're going to face when you get to the big league. So you got three starting pitchers coming back. Um, a bullpen, you know, a reliever, you know, going out for Manning. And then once Scoobal and, and Rodriguez return, that's when the Tigers have to make some decisions. And they have to make some decisions based on how they're going to go about their rotation because you're going to have too, too many uh, starting pitchers in that rotation. It seems like Reese Olsen and Joey Wentz could be the candidates to move out of that rotation. Uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about that? We've we've been impressed with Reese Olsen so far and I think Wentz has got to go back to Toledo, but Reese Olsen, that stuff's pretty nasty. Maybe you move him to the bullpen. Maybe you figure out how to keep him in the the rotation. I'm not sure exactly how you can make that happen, but he's been pretty special so far. All right, I'm going to give you my answer to that. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's discuss what I think is going to happen. I think that we have come to find out the idea of developing young players and the commitment to getting better for the future. Yeah, that was an outstanding discussion in August, at the, in September at the press conference. What we've seen so far, nothing resembles any of that. So the, the quick answer about what's going to transpire is Toledo, which has zero starting pitchers right now, is going to have three here in the next two weeks. They're going to have Joey Wentz. They're going to have Reese Olsen. They're going to have Alex Fado. And, you know, no matter how well Reese Olsen is going to pitch, and let me just say, there was no individual who was less excited for Reese Olsen to be promoted to the major leagues than Mark Gorash. But holy smokes, uh, He's been spectacular, at least he was in the last start. But he's been damn good. Tip of the cap. Um, Both to Reese Olsen and Chris Fetter. And let's talk about Reese Olsen for a second here because you just wrote a really, really good piece about it. So share with everybody what they've done, how they've changed his pitch mix, how they've optimized them. You did a great job in this piece. And, you know, tell the people a little bit who haven't had a chance to read it yet. Yeah, well, first off, let's just – Make sure we tip our cap to Reese Olsen for the 3,000 RPM spin rate uh, slider that he has. I mean, the guy has been throwing that thing like nobody's business. I mean, he throws it like he owns it, and I love that. He is so confident in that pitch, and there was all this praise about him coming up. It was all about the changeup, and this this changeup is you know the best changeup in the Tigers organization, and he's gone away from the changeup since he's been in the big leagues, and that's something that we did not see him do in triple a earlier this season. That is not something that he did last season in double a Erie. He was fastball change up then slider. And that was the way that he operated. And so far this season, and it's, it's not too much of a difference between the fastball and the slider, but he has been slider fastball sinker and then change up. I mean, he hasn't been using the change up as often. He's been leaning heavily on the slider and, you know, between the 2022 and 2023 seasons, You know, the slider is ticked up in spin rate. It's also ticked up in velocity and it's ticked up in effectiveness as well. So he's thrown more sliders than changeups so far this season. And it's not even close. He's thrown 32.9% sliders and 14.3% changeups. He's also throwing, like I said, his primary secondary pitch, which is is his slider more often than his four-seam fastball for the first time in his career, which is genius because we know that his four-seam fastball isn't a great four-seam fastball. And he added the sinker to try to, you know, throw in a different mix and keep hitters off balance. I thought that was a really smart move from Chris Fetter and the Tigers pitching department in spring training. So you add the sinker, you allow that to work a little bit, but then you also, you know, you got to use your fastball, right? Everybody knows that, and you mentioned it, right? Like fastball command is life. And when he's able to command his fastball, that's when he's at his best. And he was able to do that against the twins. And that's what stood out to me was he was able to command his fastball, and then the slider played off of that. 
And so basically, the the Tigers, yeah, I mean, basically the Tigers have adjust, adjusted the pitch mix to limit his fastball usage, along with switching his primary secondary pitch from changeup to slider. And that's allowed him to thrive. The slider has a whopping 40% swing and miss rate. Like it's as good as it gets. It's, it's, it's one of the nastiest breaking balls that a young Tigers pitcher has had in a long time. Well, there's, there's two issues at work here. One, the fastball command that he has now is unlike any fastball command he's had in his lifetime. It, it, it was so good last game, even though he has given up some homers on it. He's able to stay in counts and throw strikes to get back in counts when he needs to. And it's probably the worst swing and miss fastball in baseball. I don't, but I don't if you know locate what, it. But I, mean, I, I think that Reese has had less than cumulatively 10 swings and misses on his fastball since he's been in the major leagues. But be a fair guess. Yesterday, he kept it so, he, he was so strong locate, locating it on the edges it, that it it was just astounding. I mean, I, I DM'd you quite a few times. It was, it, it, it was like a work of art. I couldn't believe how good his command was. And it's the great Mike Farron says, fastball command is life. And it was life for him yesterday. The other thing is, for those that don't understand it, we'll explain it, but the tunneling effect between his fastball and his slider is so, so strong. So what's happening is, is as he releases the pitch, the first 50 feet, hitters are reading fastball, and his slider all of a sudden, you know, drops precipitously, and it's usually too late to do too much with it. So even, even if it ends up in the middle of the plate, the change in velocity uh, and the change in depth fools hitters. And it happens so late in the process of judging where the baseball is going to be that hitters almost have no chance. So... They've and that's really what happened against the Twins. It was, was it was eleven. I mean, it was eleven of nineteen called strikes with the fastball, and that set up the slider to generate eleven of his thirteen swings and misses. Boom. So you know, my my answer to this question is is that look, the Tigers are trading a starting pitcher here. They may trade three starting pitchers for all I know. Sure seems but, that way. Uh, but you know, you got to ask yourself. You know that that's something we're going to discuss maybe in a minute or maybe next week when it gets closer to the time when it's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, Reese Olsen's going back to Toledo. I'm not sure he deserves to go back to Toledo. But until they can resolve the log jam, you know, Fado, Wentz, Olsen, they're all uh, they're all driving down I-75. And during the month of July, it'll have to sort itself out by the trade deadline at the end of the month. So... Um, all three could be back. One could be back. Who knows? We're going to find out. So, uh, excited to see the Tigers rotation get back. I think that I said this before, Riley, you watch Riley Green. You, you called me a couple days ago. You were watching Riley Green take batting practice as you sat in the stands behind the, behind the plate, watching him, you know, pretty early in the afternoon take BP. I think we both think that. A target date for him is probably the first game back after the All-Star break, which I think is the 14th of July, if I'm not wrong. So, um, 
I don't think they're going to rush him. I think he needs at least three games in Toledo to at least get a semblance of timing. So I think the middle of the month, you'll see a full roster of Detroit Tigers, including hopefully somebody that can, you know, I, I think what will happen with Riley coming back is you'll see McKinstry and Ibanez play a lot more third base. I'm not quite fluent on why if they bring up Tyler Nevin, that's going to be the deal. And why don't you share with me? I've had people say to me that Texas has a tremendous left-handed bullpen, and that might be at least a temporary reason why to bring up Nevin for this series. But I'm just really not quite comprehending the point of bringing up a guy hitting 132 that seemed late on every fastball. Uh, maybe you can enlighten me a little bit. Yeah, well, I haven't heard officially that Tyler Nevin is is going to be the guy, um, but he was pulled out of the Toledo lineup uh, after the Tigers sent down Nick Maton. And so, you know, when there's a lineup change in Toledo, you know why, right? So um, we're all assuming that it's Tyler Nevin. Yeah, right-handed, right-handed hitter can play first base, third base in the outfield. We've seen him up here before. And yeah, I mean, the, the Rangers, they have two left-handed starting pitchers going in the first two games and then obviously a lefty heavy bullpen. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to go with Tyler Nevin, which again, to me, it's, it's head scratching because, you know, he's been in Detroit twice now and he's hit 128 um, with one home run, three walks, 10 strikeouts in 16 games. It seems like every time he gets up here, the at-bats are pretty competitive. And then over the course of his stay, they kind of get worse and worse and worse as they go. But it's hard to kind of knock the AAA numbers if you're going to look at that, where he's hitting 304 and you know drawing some walks and you know got a couple home runs in there, but but a good amount of doubles and it's it's a filler piece. That's how I view it. Look, it's a filler piece because Excuse because me. Mark Mark, it's a filler piece. Like that's what it really comes down to. Because I think you could have made the take of okay, Parker Meadows should have been called up. And while I do think that again in the world of who deserves it. If you want to go back to our conversation about, you know, who deserves it, I would, I would say Matt Boyd probably deserves a move to the bullpen while Reese Olsen stays in the rotation, but it doesn't work that way. And, and I think it's kind of the same thing here where, you know, if Tyler Nevin is replacing Nick Maton, he probably gets sent out when Riley Green or Akil Badu come back, you know, whichever player comes first. And then Jake Marisnik would probably be the other player to get sent out. And maybe, you know, Jake gets sent out first because now the Tigers, if, if Green comes back, I mean, who knows how all that, you know, who, who knows how all that works out. But the point is that two guys are going to be sent down when Green and Badu come back. And I would probably guess that Tyler Nevin is going to be one of them and Jake Marisnik is going to be the other one. So I, I think it's just like a short-term filler. And I understand the frustration, but it's he's already on the 40-man. It's an easy swap. And, you know, you're probably going to be getting rid of him anyway, unless he goes on an absolute terror, which I don't foresee happening. So I, I get it because you want to win and you need to win those games against Texas and you want to have your best players in there. But I feel like if you wanted to have your best players on the roster, there would be other roster moves that would have been made. And Nick Maton would have been sent down quite a while ago. So, I, I, I mean, you, you can be upset about that all you want, but at the same time, it's, it's a short-term filler. That's what it is if you want a real answer. Let's hope so. All right. So I wanted to ask you, because if we have an award for gangster of the week, I think the gangster move of the week was A.J. Hinch discussing his own baseball team a couple of days ago. 
whether to take them seriously, what they need to be doing to be taken seriously, what his expectations were. Pretty blunt, uh, pretty tremendous. So expound on that a little bit. Yeah, it was pretty badass, wasn't it? I loved it. I loved it because it was real. And re- real quick, by the way, Riley Green and Akil Badu are coming with the Tigers on the trip to, to Texas. They'll be doing some outfield work. I didn't really answer that question, so I wanted to make sure I made that clear. And then you know we'll see where they go from there. But A.J. Hinch, man, oh, my gosh. I mean, look, okay, so Jeff Seidel, who works for the Free Press, columnist, great guy, you know, one, one of the best there is. Um, I love working with him. And at the end of the press, you know, at the end of the pregame, you know, news conference that A.J. holds before every single game, you know, Jeff wanted to ask about the standings and understandably so, because we're at a point where it's, it's part of the conversation. I mean, it's, it's the end of June and you can make the case that the Tigers have a chance to, to make the playoffs for the first time in a very long time. And these games, they all matter, every single one of them. And Jeff asked about it and he, he kind of danced around, around it. He said, you know, I know it's June. I know there's 162 games in a season. And AJ goes, but, and then smiles and, and Jeff goes, yeah, yeah. But you got an opportunity here. There's a chance. Look where you're at in the central. And AJ Hinch kind of went on his rant about the standings, and I don't have the entire you know quote pulled up, but just basically talks about how the Tigers need to get you know so much better before they can truthfully talk like that. They haven't earned the right to talk like that. Um, you know, he, he then said, and I'll quote him here. He said, "Quote: You want to get somewhere where you matter. You want to get on national broadcasts." You want to get into the conversation where people don't just look at us and pat us on the head like we're a nice team that's trying hard. Play better. End quote. And we all stood up after that, and I was like, oof, that was a great quote. I mean, that was a great quote. That was a great... I mean, there was a few questions that followed. And that was pure A.J. Hinch just speaking facts. Straight facts. And I loved every second of it. Yeah. So how do you think A.J. Hinch, based on those three quotes felt in his office after today's game when he was by himself. Not great. I mean, look, we, I mean, not great at all. He hasn't felt great about the, the 2021 season, the 2022 season or the 2023 season so far. I mean, has he not? I mean, this guy, I mean, sure. Progress along the way is great, but Mark, this guy has won a world series. He's been to multiple world series. He has been to playoff playoffs year after year after year after year correct and he's a great manager so like i i totally understand his take and i totally understand the rant and i agree with it and i believe in it you said gangster i say badass it was everything that you want to hear from a manager especially if you're a fan especially if you're a fan right like fans love that they they saw that and i i watch what goes on on twitter i see what the responses are of course and Everyone was like, thanks for speaking the truth, because that's real. You know, the Tigers do have a long way to go if they really want to be in the mix. I mean, I mean, look, go look, go look at what Tampa Bay is doing. Go look at what Baltimore is doing. Go take a peek at Texas. Go go check in on Houston. You know, go look at Atlanta, right? Cincinnati, Cincinnati what they've been doing. Uh-huh. Arizona. I mean, th- these are teams that that are way beyond what the Tigers are doing right now. And the Tigers can feel good about where they're at in the central. And again, if they get in, it doesn't matter. We've made that very clear. But just from a pure talent standpoint, from a, a day in, day out, how are you going to play? What are you going to give me today? It's just not the same. There's a long remember, way to go. Remember the word I told you that today's podcast was about? 
when we mm-hmm. started the podcast? Mm-hmm. Legitimacy. So how's that tie into what AJ Hinch said? I mean, what did you think about it watching from afar? I mean, you're, you're somebody that's been watching this team for a long time. And um, obviously you have your takes, as we all know. You loved it, right? I mean, I'm super old, okay? I mean, I was a teenager when disco was popular. That's how old I am. So, I, you know, I've done a few things in my life. I've started a career. I've changed careers. I've had success in a career. I've been a boss, you know, both corporately and for myself. And all I can tell you is I've worked for a lot of people. I would love to work for A.J. Hinch. I would love to work for him because he wants to be the best. I know I'm going to get his best. I know I'm going to work for a guy that knows how to make us and will help us be successful. We'll be brutally honest while he's helping us improve, uh, you know, as a workforce and as a team. And he sends a message by what he says. And, you know, it's about legitimacy. It's about what's required to be successful. It's about not telling yourself a story. And that's, that's something my father used to tell me all the time. Don't tell yourself a story. Okay. And, you know, listen, I've been a huge AJ Hinch fan all through. I think anybody that reads me knows that he's playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. And, you know, I may not have a lot of nice things to say about a lot of things and a lot of people, but one thing that we can pretty consistently say is Mark Gorosh is a big fan of A.J. Hinch and has a ton of respect for how he goes about his business every day and his capacity to make his team better. 100%. And as much as I get annoyed with it sometimes, and I'm sure fans do as well, I love the fact that this whole time he's stuck with win today's game. I mean, he talked about it on, I mean, the, the conversation happened before Friday's game, and it was like, how do we beat Kenta Maeda? Like, that's all that I'm focused on. If we're focused on anything beyond how do we beat Kenta Maeda? What are we doing? Because we, we got to win today and we got to win tomorrow and we got to win the next day. And, and, and that all builds day in and day out. And I like that he's kept the focus on that. I think it's important. I question that at times along the way, but when you hear him talk like that and, and then you hear him kind of keep the focus right where it needs to be. And as much as it sounds like coach Beak and, and it kind of is in a way, there's a lot of real to it, isn't there? Well, I think right now, beyond Riley Green, that the biggest, most valuable asset the Detroit Tigers have is A.J. Hinch. So I've said this out loud many, many, many times, and I may say it too often on Twitter, especially when I'm angry, but it gets me concerned when week after week after week after week, and now year after year on top of that, they do not give him a competitive baseball team to manage. And at some point in time, he's going to start asking himself, "It, you know, I'm not a quitter, but I'm wasting years here, maybe surrounded by people that are not going to allow me to get to where I need to go. Um, 
And this is why I've felt very frustrated and have been pretty vocal, especially recently, about the fact that I look at the roster right now and I'm like, you're asking a a great manager, pardon me, a great manager to manage a 23-man roster. So, okay, you swapped out one of the, you know, dead spots in your roster today. But look, Mason Englert is, I'm sure, a great kid. And he's kind of a good story. But let's be real blunt about it. What is Mason Angler if he's hits hits a ceiling? What is he? Do we know yet? No, I, I know. Look, I, I we gotta take another break and I don't wanna dig down this rabbit hole too deep. But but I will say this from people that I've talked to and from conversations that I've had, AJ Hens wants to see this thing through. He wants to win in Detroit. He wants to win with the Tigers. He wants to bring it back from the dead. And, and, and be the guy that helped the Tigers win. And, and I get what you're saying. I understand your point. I think that that's a, a, a fair way of looking at it, all things considered. But also, this is the first year of him working with a new partner, right? It's a partnership. And there's, it's the first year of him working um, with a new guy at the very top. And for A.J. Hinge, I think it's a, a, a fresh it's a fresh opportunity in a way, right? And, and some of that might take time. I think that we might look a year from now and we might feel a lot differently about things. We'll okay. see. But, but I'm just saying I know that AJ wants to win here. All right. I don't feel that way. And we're going to talk about that for a second when we come back. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's touch on this and make it quick. Look, you have a shelf life to do things. So I think you bring up a great point. But you, at the same time, have to assess what's my working relationship with the other half of my partnership. You know, at some point in time, and I know people love to tell me how early it is, Scott Harris in the next month is going to have to show himself for real. He's going to have to make a few trades. He's going to have to draft. And he's going to have to show himself. And I think the person that's going to be watching more than anybody is A.J. Hinch. So I'm sure A.J. is going to have input. I'm sure A.J. will be a help in some ways. But at the same time, it's a little bit of, you know, show me. Don't tell me. Because so far, tell me hasn't worked too well. And there hasn't been a lot of show me. And if... When this season's over and, you know, if there isn't a better resume than what's gone on here in year one, I I think there's going to be a lot of soul searching in the A.J. Hinch household when the season's over. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, we'll see about it. You know, I, I, we we don't need to agree on everything, brother, you know, and A.J. Hinch ain't getting any younger. And I could tell you there's 28 teams that would be real eager to hire him and would fire their manager for him. 
So we'll, we'll that see I will, what that I, that I will agree with. Right. That I will agree with. Right. And, you know, so we'll see how this next month plays out, but it, it's time for the talking to stop and the doing to happen. So when it comes to that kind of stuff, um, you know, it's, it's time for us to hit on that kind of stuff. All right. We saw a couple of interesting things this week. One, Casey Mize threw a box bullpen and Jackson Job has actually appeared in games in Lakeland. So let's touch on those two things real fast. Yeah, I mean, good to see Jackson Joe back, of course, coming back from the back injury that he had dating back to spring training. Obviously, it's a, a long road for him, not only to get back to pitching, but also to eventually get to the Tigers one day. So um, that's just kind of monitoring from afar. It seems like the fastball has been really strong, really firm. Um, based on the data, I haven't seen any video on him, but just the, the data that I've looked at um, seems like the fastball is firm and yeah, I mean, all, all looks well there. I don't know if you've you know dug any deeper than that than I have, but um, slider was really good. Fastball yeah. looked like it had a little more life than uh, and velocity than it did last year, and is really been working on his cutter, which is exciting to be honest with you. So, you love the cutter, don't you, Mark? If you throw it well, it's a great, great, great pitch. So especially when you have a slider to mix in with it, because they look the same and the break is dramatically different. So um, I kind of like the idea. I'm excited for Casey Mice to come back because I really liked his cutter. If he can get the velocity back up to where I saw it two, you know, uh, two springs ago, I'll be really excited. So it was, yeah, no short box bullpen. I mean, it was good to see him. He's done that twice now um, so far. So he did that twice in a week. He's also playing catch five times a week and, making progress in, in the comeback. I mean, there are so many steps to go for him. Um, and, and, you know, there's still so much that has to happen before he's able to get into a rehab assignment and actually get going. We still have no idea if that's going to happen this season. I think with an arm that precious and somebody who's, uh, you know, has as dynamic of stuff as he does when he's healthy, there's no reason to rush him in my opinion. Um, unless you're actually in the mix for a spot in the playoffs, or you feel like you're, or you're going to be in the playoffs and you, you need his arm and, you know, you're kind of, teetering back and forth between, you know, is he, is he ready? Is he not? Um, who knows? Nobody knows if he can be back in 2023 or 2024. That's something that his body is going to be able to tell him over time. And the doctors are going to have to tell him, but a short box bullpen for people who don't know what that is. It's, and I had no idea what it was until he threw one and I went out and watched it. Um, it's where the catcher is 55 feet away from the pitcher. So slid up in front of home plate as opposed to behind home plate. So it's 55 feet instead of the 60 feet, six inches between the mountain and the plate. So basically it just kind of reduces the strain on the arm. You reduce the distance, you know, pitcher focuses on delivery and location. I don't know what he did in his second short box bullpen, but in his first one, he just threw 10 fastballs. So that's where he's at right now. And he did talk a little bit about, you know, the progression and kind of, you know, what happens along the way, right? Like, you know, for his first short box bullpen, got on the mound, threw 10 fastballs. He said everything felt good and, and felt normal. Now you progress and you throw more pitches. Then you back the catcher up. Then you introduce off-speed stuff. Then you then you introduce breaking stuff. So it's a long process that gets played out over a really long period of time. But it was cool seeing Casey Mize back on the, the mound again. I mean, he has a beard now. He's not all clean-shaven anymore. Um, Twitter ate that up. They, they say bearded Mize is going to be really good. Uh, so hopefully he sticks with the beard because the fans seem to love it. 
But no, I mean, more than anything, good to see him back on the mound. It felt like a, a huge win for him um, just to kind of take that step. Because every step, I mean, they're baby steps, right? But, you know, to be able to actually get back on a mound and throw again, that's a big step for a pitcher who hasn't thrown in such a long time and had to go through Tommy John surgery and, and also a back surgery. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm hoping he gets an outing this year. Uh, I tend to doubt it, but I'm hoping for it. I Just for also, peace of mind, that could be good if it works out with the timeline. I, I think that would be you know, good for his mentality going into the offseason. For my peace of mind, it would be good. <laughs> uh, and I, and I want to remind everybody that uh, you know, every once in a while when you're in the bullpen, pitchers throwing bullpens, they will put a a hitter in the box just to stand there to give him perspective. And uh, I volunteered Evan Petzold for that job. Uh, when Casey was throwing, I have not found out if they took me up on the offer, but I, I did make the offer. So, um, hey, Casey Mize, hey, Casey Mize said he doesn't know how hard he was throwing, but he was throwing strikes, so he wouldn't have hit me. So I, I feel confident with that. I, I trust the, the location of Casey Mize, even post-Tommy John. Listen, Mark Gorosh is a huge believer. Uh, if you are a Twitter baseball analyst, but you never really played the game, even at the high school level, I you know, recommend that you go to your nearest batting cage, put it on 75. You don't even need to put it on 85 and go stand in there and then uh, and then DM me how you felt about it. You sent so, me the video on Twitter. I don't remember. That was maybe a week or two ago. And just and it was a it was a catcher view of a fastball coming in. I don't know. It was a hundred. It was plus. Pa, it, it was Paul Skeens throwing a hundred. Okay, yeah, that was scary. <laughs> that was ridiculous. It, 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 it you you have no idea the skill level required by the catcher just to catch it. If so, anybody out there is listening, that's like a that's like a big leaguer. Like I'm not touching that ever. I know that. It, I just want to make that very clear. There are some great videos. They they use GoPros on the catchers. Uh, mass now and they're just phenomenal phenomenal videos all right there's one quick thing i wanted to touch on we'll go more in depth it maybe next week but there's been a lot of discussion about spencer torkelson who is right now just ass he's just terrible for the whole month but there's always this discussion about how hard he's hitting the baseball and I think, I don't know if it's going to come out this week, it might, but I'm working with my buddy, Jerry Mackinham, on, on a piece. Jerry's great at doing uh, research on Savant. And basically, here's the answer if you're a sophisticated baseball person. Spencer Torkelson hits the ball hard a lot. He also makes a lot of outs. And what we found was, is you know, and there's league average numbers about batting average balls in play. Spencer Torkelson is about 20 points below league average batting average balls in play. It's not bad luck because he had the same problem last year. In fact, almost every month that he's played in the major leagues, he's had the same problem except one month. Last month. Last month, pretty normal number. Every other month, Pretty terrible. The other thing we started to figure out when he hit the ball in the air over 95 miles an hour and over 100 miles an hour, pretty damn good numbers. League average numbers when he did it. And those numbers are pretty good. But when he hit the ball on the ground, he's 180 points below league average. So no matter how hard you hit the baseball, if you hit it on the ground, your chances of getting a hit 
are pretty negligible. And if you hit it and are, you know, being induced to outcomes based upon sequencing, which major league pitchers are known to do, then the fielders are going to be in the way every time you hit the damn ball. It's not an accident that the fielders are there all the time for Spencer Torkelson. It's Spencer Torkelson's problem. It's not bad luck. It's the way he swings. It's the type of contact. It's the pitches he swings at. He needs to hit the ball in the damn air more. Hard. If he does not do that, he will really struggle with his career. This is not this is not an accident. Now look, he made a lot of good changes last year, last winter. I've been an advocate. I've been complimentary about it. But he's got more changes to make because like I said, if Spencer Torkelson does not start hitting the ball in the air more. It's like I think I don't know if it was yesterday or today, he hit a a rocket to center, right center, and it basically fell 10 feet short of the wall. I mean, the bottom line is he needs to pull the ball, he needs to hit it in the air, or he needs to hit it more dead to right field when he does go opposite way, or this is just going to keep happening. And like Nick Maton found out, eventually uh, you got to produce or somebody else is going to get a chance to produce in your spot. So well, just to, my... just to run people through kind of the the, the basic data on that, um, and, and not not in terms of what any, I think you brought that broke that down great, but just to talk about you know the actual production, right? It was two fifteen batting average in April with two home runs. It was two sixty seven with two home runs in May, and in June one eighty four with four home runs. So he has shown a little bit of increased power. We had talked about that. Now it hasn't been in a while, um, but it was earlier in the month where he was showing some power and I was very encouraged by that. And I, I kind of came to the conclusion that, Hey, this guy just needs to hit more home runs. Just get the ball to the park. Um, I do think that that's a, that's a big part of it. I feel like you would agree. Yep. He had three pitches in exactly the same spot, two fastballs and a breaking pitch, all the left center, all touched them off. All beautiful swings. Well, obviously it's the hot zone, brother. <laughs> so, but you Don't know, pitch like him I said, there. The, these these are not accidents. So, all right, uh, it's late. You got to catch an airplane. You are playing golf in Texas, right? I am playing golf in Texas. I'm also playing golf in Colorado. Oh, that should be outstanding. I'm excited. I will report back on. Uh, I, will, I will report back next pod. All right. So, uh, for Evan Petzold, I want to remind everybody to please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can find Days of Roar embedded in the free and in every Evan Petzold article. I'd like to thank our executive producer, Kirk Crawford, and Anjanette Delgado. Our producer, Robin Chan. I would like to thank our uh, other executive producer this week, Savannah, who has made sure we did an outstanding job. And uh, I think we probably did pretty well because she did not admonish either one of us during the podcast. So I'm thinking we did a pretty good job and it was a pleasure to have her with us. I'd also yeah, like she, to thank... She, she enjoyed sitting in, Mark. 
I, I would also next next week we're going to have Savannah and we're going to let her talk and we're going to introduce no. her to our audience. Okay? Don't worry, don't worry, Kirk. That's not happening. And uh, I'd like to thank my grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, who will be here bright and early tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning to play bubbles with me. And uh, I'd like to say, have a safe trip and peace. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.